Welcome to Awaken to Grace. I'm Chad Roberts, and today we begin a new journey together. We begin a new series called Eternal Rewards. Should Christians desire rewards in heaven? Is it a wrong motive to desire what God says you and I can have in eternity? Many Christians have the wrong perspective when it comes to eternal rewards. And in this series, we are going to attempt to take God's Word and give us the right perspective and to give us the right motivation for what God desires you to have in His kingdom. Well, today we're going to begin, we're calling this the foundation of eternal rewards. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians 3, where Paul says that each person, we are building our lives out of one of two materials. Either we're building out of gold and silver and precious stone, or we're building out of material that is cheap, things like just wood and hay, that when God tests our lives with fire, it's either going to purify, it's going to strengthen, it's going to have greater value in heaven, or it's going to burn up, and Scripture says we'll suffer loss. We're going to explain what all of this means in this sermon that is called the Foundation of Eternal Rewards. I hope that you'll plan to be with me through each step of this series as we explain the crowns that the Scriptures identify and how one day we will cast our crowns at the feet of Christ. I hope you'll be with me through this entire series. Well, let's go to God's Word today. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the foundation of eternal rewards on this edition of Awakened to Grace. Today I want to launch a new series called Eternal Rewards. I want to talk about over the next six weeks or so what it means to have an eternal perspective. How do we not live for the temporary? How do we not live only for this life? For how many years or however many decades that the Lord gives us in this world? How do we live for eternity? Because what the Bible teaches is that we currently live in this present evil age. Well, my friends, if there is a present age, then that means there is an age to come. So you have to understand, when God formed Adam out of the dust of the ground, all he was was dust turned into flesh. It was not until God breathed life into Adam that he became a what? A living soul. Making mankind unique from all of God's creation. We are different than the ranks of angels. We are different from even animals and other things of God's creation. What makes mankind so different? We bear the image of God in the fact that you and I are a living soul. And what does that mean? That means that when this flesh dies, and just as we came from the dust of the earth, so we shall return to the dust of the earth. But what happens to our living soul? That will go on for eternity. Why? 
because we are created in the image of God. C.S. Lewis said it better than anyone that I've ever heard articulate it. C.S. Lewis said, most people believe that we are a body that has a soul. No, we are a soul that happens to have a body for a short while. Who you truly are, who I truly am, is a living soul created in the image of God. And our soul will live forever. The question is where? Will we live in heaven or will we live in eternity in hell? Well, why was hell created? Did you know hell was never created for mankind? When God created humanity, he did not create hell for man. Hell was created, the Bible says, the scriptures tell us, it was for the devil and his angels. Why? Because of their ultimate act of rebellion. Now, I want you to note that for those of you who are note takers, because where I'm going to begin today is the ultimate act of rebellion. And where I'm going to end today at the conclusion is our ultimate act of worship. And I'm going to try to thread the two together. The reason that hell exists is because Satan and his demons rebelled against God Almighty. And do you know what happened when man rebelled against God? We joined the rebellion of Satan. So why does man now go to hell, those who are apart from Christ? Because we are part of his rebellion. But Christ came. The second Adam, what the first Adam could not do, the second Adam did. Christ came to ransom us. Christ came to die for us. Christ came to be the Lamb of God that could take away forever the sin of the world. So, now, we must understand that the years, the decades, the time that God gives us on this earth we will give an account for how we've lived. Now, the great separation between those who are saved and those who are lost, the Bible is expansive in its teaching. The Bible says that just as one would separate sheep from the goats, one day Christ will separate the saved from the lost. What a frightful thing. The Bible teaches that those who are born again will one day give an account for their life. And what that is called is the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema judgment seat of Christ. And those who are without Christ and still in their sin and they bear the weight of their sin, they will stand before what the Bible calls the great white throne judgment. Those who are in Christ will never stand before the great white throne judgment. And those who are without Christ will never have the experience of the Bema judgment seat of Christ. They are two completely different events for sheep and goats. Now I want you to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 with me. I want over the next several weeks to give us a clearer understanding of eternity and what we can expect because the Bible tells us. 
What is the wonderful news for those who put their trust in Christ is that we will never bear the weight of our sin in judgment. Do you know why? Because Jesus did that for us. Christ absorbed all of the wrath of God on our behalf. Now, those who stand at the judgment seat of Christ, they, those are believers, those are sheep, those are sons and daughters of God, and we will never bear the weight of judgment of sin because Christ did that for us. So what's the purpose of the judgment seat? I'm going to explain that today. But those who don't know the Lord, those who are left to bear the weight of their sin, they will give account before the great white throne judgment. And what will be the sentencing of that day? The Bible says they will be thrown into the lake of fire. You say, oh, but Chad, that's not fair. Oh, but see, we are on the wrong side. We are in the rebellion against God. That's why man will go where Satan and his angels will go. Because we are part of the same rebellion. Until we have put our full faith and we have put our full trust in salvation by Jesus Christ. He is the door to heaven and there is no other way. Amen. Now what's the judgment seat of Christ? The judgment seat is where Christians will give... An, Christ will do an assessment of our lives. We will not be judged for sin, but we will be judged for the opportunities. We will be judged for the motives that we did. If you want to learn much more about the Bema judgment seat, you can go on our website, awakentograce.com. You can go on our free mobile app, Awakened to Grace. When you go to our sermons there, there is a folder there, a series called Eternity, What Are You Living For? In that sermon, in part one, I went to 2 Corinthians 5 and I break down everything I know about the judgment seat of Christ. It's not everything to know, but I assure you it's everything I know. And we talk in part one, the judgment seat of Christ, part two, the great white throne. You can look at that on your own and you can go back and see the teaching there. Today, I am doing a foundation talk on what we are going to study for the next six weeks. The Bible identifies five crowns of Scripture that you and I can win. Five crowns. And beginning next Sunday, we're going to break each of those five down, and I will try to go in depth explaining the meaning and the purpose behind each crown. <coughs> I think there are many, many more that Christians can obtain. I think Scripture, when it gives us the five, it is not an exhaustive list by no means, I do not believe. I think it gives us a taste. It gives us a, uh, it gives us a, a glimpse into what we can earn. What did Paul say? We see through a glass dimly on this side of eternity, on the side we're on now. So today is going to be a foundation of where we're going. I want you to understand why we give an account for our lives, where we give an account for our lives, and when we give an account for our lives. And then the next five weeks, we will break down the five crowns of Scripture. Look with me now in chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians. 
If you notice verses 9 to 11, Paul is going to make an argument that there is only one true foundation in life, and that foundation is Jesus Christ. If you are building your life on any other foundation, you are in a world of trouble. People who purchase a home and they don't understand or realize that the foundation has been cracked, they're in trouble. The scriptures teach, Jesus taught, that there are two foundations, the sinking sand and the solid rock. And friends, if you're building on sinking sand, let me assure you, you are in trouble. And when you look at that teaching in Matthew 7 through the lens of eternity, you really understand what Jesus is teaching. So understand Paul is going to reinforce this idea in 1 Corinthians 3 by saying there isn't but one foundation and that is Jesus Christ. And what he's saying in verses 9 through 11 is that each person needs to be careful how we are building. Are we building rightly throughout our lives? So that one day when we stand before God and we give an account for the precious life he has given us, for the decades he has given us, for the family he has given us, for the calls to serve and the opportunities we've been given, will we have been found faithful? That's the question. And Paul says, I want you to note it with me, in verse number 12, Paul teaches there are various types of building materials that you and I can choose. He puts it like this. There is gold, silver, and costly stones, precious jewels. Okay? Or someone perhaps might choose to build out of wood, hay, and stubble. In other words, they may do, they may uh, with their life show great quality. They may with their life do some, you know, do things that are of great sacrifice. Or the alternative is they'll take the easy way out. They'll go the cheap way. They'll go the convenient way. They'll bypass what is hard and what is difficult and what is costly. And they'll take what is convenient and what is easy. And so Paul says that each of us are building our lives out of one or two sets of building materials. And either we are choosing solid things, valuable things, such as gold, silver, and precious stones, or hay, wood, and stubble. Now follow his logic. In verse number 13, notice what he says. Each one's work is going to be manifested. Oh, that is a heavy phrase right there. Each one's work is going to be manifested. Now, let's understand. Let's dig around a little bit right here. I I, I think a good word picture to understand this when he says manifested is that we are not going to be able to hide any motive from the Lord Jesus Christ. See, right now, as I preach this sermon today, you realize the way God is evaluating me. When I stand and I give an account for this day and this work, this service that I am doing for the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord is not going to evaluate me based on how polished my speaking is. He's not going to evaluate how effective of a communicator I was. He's not going to evaluate me on how well my memory was or if I could get across all my points or how good of a teacher perhaps I was. No. Do you know what God is going to evaluate? My motive. 
In other words, I can love to preach or I can love to the people that I'm preaching to. I can do it just to hear my own voice or I can do it out of obedience and service and worship to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's my motive that's going to be evaluated with God. Same with you. Whatever you do for the Lord Jesus, what's your motive? He says that each one's work is going to be manifested. I think about just even this morning, those who are serving in our parking lot team. Would you want to serve on a cold, rainy morning like this? I think about those who get here early and begin brewing coffee for our congregation so that people can enjoy that. I think about people that are in kids' church and those who give up Sundays and they give up teaching times. People who have worked all week long and yet they've given up their Sunday to serve back there. God bless them. Amen. I think about people who serve in many different capacities in our church. I think about the care team and those who uh, are small group leaders and shepherd people. I think about those who work in all the technology and all of the worship. I think about those who serve in prayer ministry. What a vital thing that is. All over people are serving. But you know what's going to be on display one day? Not just what we did but why we're doing it, our motives. I think about the generosity of this church and the way people give and the faithfulness that you do. Oh, thank God for you. But see, even as I try to be faithful to the Lord and I give not unto you and not unto anyone else, I give as unto the Lord. See, one day, My motive is going to be assessed. More so than the amount, the motive. Does that make sense? Someone can give the uh, the Lord a large sum, but if the motive is wrong, that will be assessed. Each one's work will be manifest. In other words, think of it like this. You can drive through a subdivision and you can see the most beautiful home on the outside, manicured lawn and all of the bells and whistles, but inside it be a nasty hoarder's nest. You know what the judgment seat of Christ will be like for believers? I don't care what you look like on the outside on a Sunday morning. It's what's on the inside. Amen? And that is what's going to be manifest. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10, the scriptures say, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That word appear, the Greek meaning, the original meaning is to be turned inside out. We will not hide anything from the flaming eyes of fire of Jesus Christ. That's why when we struggle with sin, as we all do, when we, struggle, when we struggle with pride, as we all do, when we have shortcomings, as we all do, that's why we are so wise to pray Psalm 139 with David and say, God, search me, try me, see if there be any wicked way in me, O God. 
I would rather do it now in this life than to do it at the judgment seat of Christ because my life will be made manifest. How will it be made manifest? Oh, oh, I forgot my phrase. When will it be made manifest? Look what it says. Paul says, for the day will disclose it. That's a capital D, for the day. What is the day? Friends, that's judgment day. That is the judgment seat of Christ. That is when you and I will give full account of our lives. Now, remember, you will not give account for sin if you're born again. So what will you give account for? Missed opportunities or opportunities you've done well with. Motives, whether they were pure or whether they were impure. God will assess, again, it says 2 Corinthians 5.10 is one to really link in your own personal study with this. We, will, we must all appear for the judgment seat of Christ to give an account for the things done in our bodies, whether good or bad. So that means that either you're going to have good motives or bad motives. Either you're going to have good work or poor work. Either you're going to do the hard things in life, the sacrificial things, or you're going to do the quick and convenient and easy things of life. Either your life is built out of gold, silver, and precious stone, or it's built out of hay, wood, and stubble. I heard one time a story about a contractor who had built many gorgeous homes throughout his years of construction. He came upon retirement and he was so excited to retire. It's the only thing that he lived for. His boss came to him and said, I understand that you're retiring, but I have one last project for you. Will you please take it on? Reluctantly, very reluctantly, he agreed. And so he got into the project, but he lived for retirement. He lived to take his ease. So, after a lifetime of quality work, he began to cut corners. He cut corners here and cut corners there and did everything as fast and as easy as possible because he kept thinking, all I want to do is retire. At the end of the project, when when his boss came to evaluate the work, he handed the builder the keys And he said, this is my gift to you. Enjoy your retirement. And he was filled with regret that he didn't do a better job. Are we not in the same potential danger? That we rush through this life trying to be as comfortable as possible trying to accumulate all that we can. And we're not living for eternity. Each one's work will be made manifest. When? For the day will disclose it. See, I can't see your motives, and you most certainly cannot see my motives. It's going to take the day, it's going to take the judgment seat of Christ to truly reveal it. How will our motives be revealed? Well, Paul tells us. I'm so glad you asked. Look what it says. By fire. By fire. I want you to write down 
a principle. Man and fire are inseparable. Humanity and fire are inseparable. See, either you are marching through life without Jesus headed toward hellfire, or you are marching through life serving to the glory of God, and one day fire will test the motives of your life. Either way, you will not escape fire. It's inseparable. And watch what happens. Notice the last phrase of verse 13. It is the fire that's going to test. In other words, it's the fire that's going to reveal the value of your life. The quality of your service to Jesus. The quality of your Christian life. The fire is going to reveal the quality. Are we ready for that? Do we think about that? The purpose is to get us ready. It was Matthew Henry who died in the early 1700s. It was Matthew Henry who gave this gem to the church. He said it ought to be the business of every day to prepare for your last day. It ought to be the business of every day to prepare for your last day. What I want to do in this series is to give us an eternal perspective. It was C.T. Studd, that great preacher, who said, this life will soon be passed, and what is done for Christ is all that will last. Do we live for eternity? Notice verse 14. If what we have built on This foundation, if any man has built on this foundation, if his work survives the fire, then what is promised? He'll be rewarded. Verse 15, if it is burned up, you suffer great loss. But does that mean that someone will not go to heaven? No, because notice what the scriptures say. Even though that believer will suffer great loss, he will still be saved. So as by fire. The the word picture is escaping a burning home, getting out in time. You will not be judged for your sin. Your sin was judged already by Jesus Christ on Calvary. But you will be judged for the life you lived. Whether or not you were faithful, whether or not you were obedient, whether or not you were sacrificial, that is what the Lord will judge us by. So, Rewarded. I want to talk for just a few moments and let me set our series up by talking about rewards. First of all, let me say many Christians have a skewed view of rewards. They have a skewed perspective. You know, I think that there is something to be said that we do not serve Jesus only to be rewarded. But see, here's what I want you to understand. What is our true reward? Colossians 3, 23, 24, and 25 gives us that answer. Colossians 3, 23 teaches that our true reward is inheriting the kingdom of God. It's our inheritance. That's our reward. So if our true reward is an inheritance of the kingdom of God, I want you to understand we do not serve God 
as an employee serves an employer. No, we are not rewarded as an employer rewards an employee. No, you and I serve Jesus as sons and daughters of God. Amen. We are rewarded as sons and daughters of God. The kingdom is ours, amen. It is our inheritance. So what's my motivation? To get something out of God? No, he's my father. He's my father. I don't have to connive. I don't have to manipulate. I don't have to try to twist his arm. I don't have to try to figure out the combination code. No, all I have to do is go to Abba Father. And if the Bible says in Romans 8 that if God not sparing his own son but freely gave him up for us, how will he not also with him give us everything else we need in this life? 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, it is his divine power that has granted to us all things that pertain to both life and godliness. I don't have to twist God's arm to be good to me. I don't have to manipulate him to be good to me. He's my father. I'm his son. So when we talk about rewards, when we talk about living for eternity, it's not an employee being paid by an employer. It's a son and daughter serving out of a grateful heart to the Father. Do you realize that God is eager to give you rewards? The Scriptures say in Matthew 6, Jesus said, lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven. That's pretty good motivation. The scriptures say in Hebrews 11.6 that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Amen. The scriptures say in Revelation 22.12 that when Christ returns, what is he bringing with him? The Bible says rewards in his hands. What are those rewards in his hands? I believe part of it are the crowns of Scripture. So when you and I stand at the Bema judgment seat of Christ, what, as the Lord assesses our lives, what kind of rewards can we anticipate? Now say amen if you're with me right now. Is it okay if I just do some teaching? Do we need a coffee break? I mean, do you guys need some more caffeine? I know it's raining outside. Okay. (laughs) we're used to rewards in this life aren't we when our children are small what do we begin to do we begin to reward them but as you grow up into adulthood rewards get very serious don't they they get very expensive for the most elite in our societies they get some pretty amazing rewards Um, in just a few weeks somebody's going to earn a Super Bowl championship ring. That's a pretty good reward. People earn congressional medals of honor. People earn Pulitzer Prize awards. People earn Nobel Peace Awards. People earn Grammys and Emmys. There are some who are elite who earn such trophies and such rewards. But let me tell you what the scriptures teach. Every single believer can be rewarded by Jesus Christ. 
every believer. Note what the scriptures say. I'm going to give you three areas that I believe include our rewards. I have been following a great deal of teaching by Randy Alcorn, which is exceptional on this topic, Erwin Lutzer, which is exceptional, and Mark Hitchcock, which is exceptional. And I want to share with you three areas of rewards that we will have the potential with. Number one, praise from Jesus Christ. If you go to the next chapter of 1 Corinthians, and I will not break it all down, but it's good for you to read. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 says that we are servants of Christ and stewards of the mystery of the gospel, verse 1. Verse 2, moreover, it is required of stewards to be found faithful. See, you and I are owners of nothing and stewards of everything. Amen? Amen. We are owners of nothing stewards of everything. You think you're the owner? Have a heart attack. And who's going to take over what you own? Who is it going to be given to? We're owners of nothing, stewards of everything. We must be found faithful. Then it goes on to say in verse number 5 that each believer is going to receive a praise from the Lord Jesus Christ, a commendation by Jesus. Now think about that. You may feel like the least believer in this room. You may feel like the least Christian in this entire audience. But Jesus is going to have something wonderful to say about you and to you. You know what I love about this verse is that each believer receives a praise. God is not going to issue rewards based upon nations, <laughs> based upon generations, based upon nationalities, or based upon churches. No, individually to you personally, you will receive the reward. I love that. Can you imagine what it's going to be for Jesus to give you commendations? What do you think he will say? What do you think he will say of your life? Number two, we will receive positions of authority in the kingdom of God. See, Jesus taught that based on the faithfulness of the way we lived on this earth is where we will rule and reign throughout eternity. And Jesus said some people are going to be so faithful, some are so trustworthy that they will rule cities of 10, 10 cities. Some will rule five cities. And the scriptures teach there are going to be levels of authority in heaven. But I think who are rulers in heaven will be very surprising to us. I've been reading a lot of Randy Alcorn, who I love his teaching so much. And he shared a phenomenal story. He was doing a very important conference at this high-end hotel and many people there and he became friends with the bellman and he gave the bellman one of his books and toward the end of the conference he just felt compelled to give him a gift he gave him a rugged wooden cross and the bellman had prayed for that conference all throughout the days they just I don't know it touched his heart and when Randy gave that bellman that gift that bellman told Randy, he said, 
you shouldn't have done that. He said, I'm only a bellman. No, you're a son of the Lord God. Amen. And Randy said, I believe it's people like him that I will have the privilege of serving under in eternity. Amen. We will have praise, commendation from Jesus. We will have positions of authority in the kingdom. And thirdly, we will have privileges throughout eternity. Now, what are these privileges? I want you to follow me for a moment. Oh, what a rainy Sunday to tackle such heavy subjects. Now, say amen if you're with me. You're not sleepy, are you? You're not hungry, are you? Okay. All right. All right. I heard a yes. I appreciate your honesty. Amen. I wouldn't want to go to the judgment seat and lying on that. So... <laughs> what are privileges in the kingdom? I'm not going to have you flip through the scriptures and find it, but I will have you note it so you can go back on your own time. Beginning in Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, Daniel teaches something extraordinary. He teaches that some are going to rise after the resurrection of the dead. Some will be unrighteous and they'll rise to unrighteousness. Others are righteous and they will rise to righteousness, speaking of true believers. Again, never forget, there is a clear separation in Scripture. It is sheep and goats. It is the saved and the lost. And you are in one of two camps. There are no independents here. You're one of two. So Daniel says that the righteous, now I need you to follow me because I'm excited. You're with me, right? Because I can't see you. You're with me. Okay. All right. All right. All right. All right. Here we go. Daniel says that the righteous are going to shine like the stars throughout all eternity. Now, you fast forward to Matthew chapter 13, verse 43. Did you know that after the parable of the seeds being sown, did you know that Jesus quotes Daniel 12? Did you know that? And Jesus says that we will shine with the light of God for all of eternity like stars. Now you fast forward to Paul's teaching in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 when he teaches on the resurrection, which is what Daniel was teaching on centuries before. And you know what Paul says? 1 Corinthians 15, verses 40 and 41 and 49. Paul says that just as we have earthly bodies that's made for this earth, so there are heavenly bodies made for heaven. See, that's why you and I can't understand everything about heaven. We're made for right here, right now. Now our soul is made for eternity. But we can't fully understand everything, can we? But be assured, it's as real, it is as tangible as the chair you're sitting in right now. Now, Paul says just as there are earthly bodies and just as there are heavenly bodies, we will be raised to a heavenly body. And listen to what he says. The sun has its glory, the moon has its glory, 
and the stars have their glory and the stars differ in their glory. The stars, some stars are brighter than other stars. Do you know what scholars believe is the teaching there? One of the privileges, one of the rewards of eternity is that we are going to shine forever. We are going to display the glory of God to such a degree. It is going to be like the stars shining. Amen. So what's the thing with the rewards? I believe some believers will have a greater capacity to shine more brightly, to display God's glory more brightly than others. Now, will that diminish any joy in heaven? No, I don't think so. One person put it this way, and I like this. Everyone's cup will be filled, but some will have larger cups to fill. So those who lived more sacrificially, those who truly lived for others, those who denied themselves and picked up their cross, those who through their sufferings ceased from sinning, as the scriptures say, those who faced trials and tribulations like the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, oh, they will shine with the capacity to display God's glory. you desire that? See, where so many of our view is wrong when it comes to rewards, we have a false humility. You know what the false humility is? Oh, shucks now. I don't really want nothing when I get to heaven. Oh, little old me, I'll just be glad to be there. Oh, just give me a shack on the hills of glory. (laughs) Then why did Jesus say, lay up for yourselves treasure? Why did Jesus say, run this race? You know why? Because he wants to reward you. He wants you to live for these heavenly rewards. It is his joy. It is his honor. It is his privilege. It will be his delight to reward a life well lived. Our problem is that we don't think about it. Our problem is that it's in our peripheral instead of in the center. Well, I'll begin to close today these privileges. Let me close with where we're going to be over the next six weeks. In Revelation chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. Now remember, Scripture identifies five crowns of Scripture, and we're going to break down each crown and what they mean and how you can gain it. But now these crowns are not like diadem crowns. There are two Greek words for crowns in the Scripture. There's diadem, which means royal crown, and then there's Stephanus. Stephanus means an overcomer's crown. Okay? The Stephanus crown is what in Paul's day, the Isthmus Games in Corinth, that's what they want. It would be the equivalent today of a gold medal. And the Stephanus crown was a wreath. It was a garland. It was an evergreen wreath that was of enormous honor. And you know what the scriptures say you and I will do with the crowns that we win? 
it says, Revelation chapter 4, verse 10, it says the 24 elders, and in my view, the 24 elders is the blood-bought church of Jesus Christ. Go back, listen to our Revelation series on chapter 4, and I explain it all, and I explain why I believe the 24 elders is the representation of the blood-washed church from the day of Pentecost through the last days. And as you and I, the 24 elders, the blood-washed church, as we receive our commendation from Jesus, as we receive the positions of authority, as you, as I, as you and I rule as kings and priests with Jesus, and do you know why that makes Satan so angry? It's because we fail with him. And how is it that God, who will not save demons, how is it that God, who did not bleed for the host of angels, how is it that God would take humanity who followed Satan in his rebellion and elevate him to be kings and rulers with Jesus? Oh, it makes him furious. And you and I will take our crowns that we have won, that we have been given. We didn't earn them as employees we won them as sons and daughters. And here's what the scriptures say, Revelation chapter four, verse 10. We will cast our crowns at the feet of Jesus. And verse 11 says that we, the church, will say, worthy are you, Lord, for by your will, all things exist. Have you checked out our collection of books I would love to invite you to read the books that I have written where you can find them on Amazon, you can find them on Audible, you can find them on Kindle or at awakentograce.com.